previously on Take Me to Your Reader. Uh, this is one that I saw in high school. Um, and I, like I was telling you guys, I actually read the novelization of it after I watched the movie. Oh, cool. And maybe we'll talk more about that at some point. Yeah. If we have time. Yeah. I'm ready for a surprise! Welcome back, everybody, to Read Meteor Taker, adapting disgusted science fiction at its worst and best. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. Now we're back, as we always are, discussing well-known science fiction films and its and their novelizations. This time we're talking about Total Recall, the classic 1990 science fiction film, and the Pierce Anthony novelization. We're going to talk about the film, mention the differences, and details in the novelization. And that's what we always do. And that's what we always do. Every time. Totally. Except... And- April Fools! <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, no, I am not Colin, and... I'm not Seth. I might be James. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Colin, you are not James, you are not Seth. <laughs> so we, we've been lamenting a long time. There are movies that we, we can't do because they're not adapted. And yet they have novelizations. So we decided for April Fools to throw one of those in here, see if you guys like it, see if we like doing it. We might do it again, Yeah. maybe sooner than a year from now. We'll find out. Yeah. Right. And the original idea, and it came from James, it was a good idea, got it, credit where it's due, right. was thank to you, cover, to do Krull, which right. is a 1980s movie. Unfortunately, with schedules being what they were with you, with James being out of town for a mm-hmm. number of weeks, we decided adding an entire other novel and movie was going to be tough to do. Right. So we wanted to do this anyway, and so we thought, let's tack on the novelization of Total Recall, because we just did a podcast about that movie, and... Written by Piers Anthony, which is really cool. A lot of venerable right. authors actually do novelizations of, of yeah. science fiction and other movies these days. Yeah. So actually, in high school, I read the paperback novelization oh, of right. Total Recall. Um, I, and I knew of Piers Anthony. I had, I had read On a Pale Horse or something, you know, mm-hmm. one of those books. Um, and so since I knew that that one existed, I looked. And sure enough, our library had a copy of it. So I thought, you know what? That'll be easy. Send the book with James. He'll probably have time to read it while he's in Poland. For two weeks. <laughs> He'll have enough alcohol over there, lots of wapka. So that was, we kind of went the easy route this way. But like Colin said, if, if, if people out there like it, you know, lob us another suggestion for something yeah. that we should cover. Or maybe it's our we'll, podcast do what we want. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we previously discussed Total Recall the 1990 film mm-hmm. in our previous podcast. That was so long ago. I know. It was so long. minutes ago. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be posting these at least a day apart. So, <laughs> so we don't really have to go into that one. The 1990 film, too much. No. One thing I wanted to talk about, though, is I don't know if you guys have read many novelizations. No. Handful. Yeah, I've, I've read a few. Um, I've not read I remember many. reading the Terminator 2 novelization before I saw the movie and then being a little disappointed. Um, because to me, a novelization is almost like a remake. I read The Lost World. Does that count as a novelization? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Um, not sure it counts as adapted either. But no, I, yeah, one thing I look for in remakes is kind of filling in the blanks. Right. Uh, you know, that maybe a previous version of an adapted movie didn't cover. Oh, I see where you're going with this. And yeah, and so like the, the novelization for this one does mm-hmm. a lot, a really good job of fixing some of the glitches. Right. That you might not have noticed <laughs> we in the fixed original film. The glitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just providing more detail to make the story a right. little more interesting. Yeah. And there are several nods back to the original short story as well. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about. Turns out there's not just one novelization. There are two. There's the original hardback. And then there's a paperback, and by ha- by chance, I ended up getting the hardback, and right. Seth got, we got the paperback, and you yeah. guys read that. We got the paperback, yeah. And so we were watching the uh, the 2012 movie over at Seth's house, and we were arguing about, you know, well, what's the guy's name in the novelization? It turns out we were both right. 
Yeah, because I'm like, no, it's Quaid in the novelization. And he's like, no, Quail. And I'm like, all right, well, let's make it interesting. Right. <laughs> so we actually made a bet for a, for a, like, and you both owe me a burrito. <laughs> yeah, I guess we owe James a burrito. Yeah, since James wasn't in on it, we both owe a burrito. Because in the paperback, it's Quaid. In right. the novelization, it's Quail. Yeah. And then in the original st- story, it's Quail. 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 Yeah. So it's still three to two, though. Quaid wins. Two movies and a novelization say Quaid. One novelization sure. and short story say quail. <laughs> but Colin would say... Canonicalization. Yeah, the story is always right. The story is always right. <laughs> In fact, it's so right that Piers Anthony went back to it and brought elements of it back into the novelization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's always right. kind of one of the interesting things is the novelization might be based on the screenplay, even though the final product of the film is a different cut. And so there would be stuff in the novelization that you didn't get in the movie. And so that's kind of one of the fun things we can talk about, things that might have been on the cutting room floor for the original movie. Right. Are we recommending, I mean, right off the top here, that we're going to spoil that. If you've seen the movie, you've read the book effectively. There's, yeah, there's some differences. Yeah. We, we could say, yeah, it's probably worth reading. Yeah. That was cool. It yeah. was, it was a totally a bromance novel in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> so, so if you do want to read it, we're, we're going to spoil <laughs> a lot of it probably. So <clears throat> we'd recommend that you go read it and then, then listen to us and, and send us some feedback. If we didn't cover one of the cool things from the novelization that you saw, Colin, it's time to geek out. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I I was a big Piers Anthony fan in the 80s and the 90s. I read a whole bunch of Xanth books. I read all the Incarnations of Immortality. I read the Apprentice Adept series. I read the Phase books and then a, a handful of other ones that he's written. And uh, so, you know, I'm sitting here reading this novelization and I thought, well, hey, wouldn't it be great if Piers Anthony would tell us something that we might not normally be able to know? So I wrote him an email. I told him that we were uh, a bunch of uh, friends that had a podcast and Seriously? it was it was short time. <laughs> Because uh, we were going to be recording a couple of days, and I was wondering if he would share with us a memory that we could have on our podcast and, you know, to learn from. Expecting, and, of course, to be ignored. Totally. Because like, I, I emailed Roddy Piper when we, when we were going to be doing uh, oh, yeah. They Live, and, yeah, I didn't hear back. Yeah. So, he wrote me back the same day. <laughs> it was Friday. That's I'm, freaking awesome. So, I got an email from Piers Anthony, and I'm totally geeking out about it. It's really cool. Um, so first of all, thank you for taking the time, uh, to, to write me a response and to do it so po- in- incredibly quickly. This is how, how we became aware that the two different versions were different. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me read his response. Yeah. Um, actually here, let me, let me read my question first and then his response. And so, um, I know it's short notice and that you probably receive an absolute ton of emails and requests, but I was wondering if you have a short memory or story about the novelization that we could read in our podcast. And he says, Yes. Novelizing Total Recall was an interesting experience, but I think not one I'd care to repeat. You know how movies tend to cut out the best parts of the novels they are based on? I discovered that they may do the same to their own movie scripts. There was a lovely sequence where Arnold, I forget the name of the movie character, and just think of him as Schwarzenegger, was breaking for lunch with his crew, and they had a pretty girl dancing. Then Arnold got up and walked toward her and into her and through her. She was an animated hollow. He knew it, but we didn't, until he walked through her. Lovely! What? You don't remember it? That's because they yanked it out of the movie. I had it in the hardcover edition, but had to delete it from the paperback. It seemed that they just couldn't let a scene that good stay. Yeah. Was it, it was, so it was in the edition you read? It was in the hardback. Yeah, so I'll, yeah. I'll loan it to you. So oh, you that's so it. cool. So he's reading this to me, and I'm like, I don't remember that scene. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that's wild. I can't that they would have him cut it like that. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, it reminded me of the tennis scene. 
There is a little so bit cool, of that, though. right? Where the hologram is breaking down. I think Arnold right. actually does run through that yeah, hologram. Yeah. yeah, I think he walks through it, yeah. Yeah, that very butch tennis instructor. Yeah. And so now as I read the novelization with the things that it adds that are different from the movie, I'm wondering how much of that is Piers Anthony's invention mm-hmm. and how much of that was left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Um, the interesting so cool thing. that he got back to you. I know, right? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah. He's been sitting That's on this so for rad. two days. <laughs> yes. Um, so one interesting thing with the uh, novelization is that the hardcover version that you have is not like a movie Italian version. It doesn't have Arnold. It doesn't have the movie poster on it. And maybe no. that's, you know, he did the novelization and then they slapped the Arnold cover on it and made some edits to it to make it closer to what the the movie was. Though there's still a lot of novel stuff in there. Novel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, For example, he they, he tries to come up with a reason why the aliens built this air factory right. on Mars. I really like the way he did the alien uh, sequences. Um, yeah, he he expanded that that whole he thing. Expanded it's that not quite just a, well. It's he, not just happenstance. He expanded the whole Mars thing very well. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and I appreciated that. <laughs> but so, I didn't necessarily appreciate was the bromance version of it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get to that after Colin talks about the civilization. Oh yeah. The alien civilization. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the fact that there's a black hole in the middle of the galaxy, and as the planets get pulled in, uh, it's the civilization's job to try and spawn intelligent life elsewhere. Because even if you're further out, even if you're further right. out, yeah, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense from astrophysics. You know, are we yeah. saying that things aren't in stable orbits? Yeah, right. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. that in the universe is expanding, right? But you know, I give him no. credit for uh, contracting. Like having a plausible explanation for how to build an atmosphere on a planet and how to terraform it rapidly. Yeah. The other side of it is there's the, there's the carrot and the stick, right? Where it's, it's here. We've got, we put this machine on your planet so that you can put an atmosphere and terraform mm-hmm. this planet and colonize it. But if you do it wrong, we're going to blow up your sun. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. And there were, there were these novas they kept mentioning through the story. And that's what it's building up to. Yeah. Like, hey, right. those stars shouldn't be going nova. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. They, they would have had to have gone nova quite a long time ago in order for the light to reach us. But yes. um, and have several of them all Nova in the same week or two of time. Yeah. So one of the things James and you guys both mentioned was this whole idea that, yeah, you cannot have the icy core of Mars being melted to create oxygen mm-hmm. for the planet. That just wouldn't work well. Previously well, on Take Me to Your Reader. Right. Here's <laughs> Anthony actually went through and came up with a more plausible explanation for how that happens. Right. So you take the water, you separate it. There's an acid stored underneath there. You break it down as well to get more hydrogen uh, and nitrogen. So you now you have a nitrogen-oxygen atmosphere. Right. You take the hydrogen, you fuse it. You fuse it, and that yeah. makes energy because there's heating elements through the planet. And then you need the to process heat it up of too. distributing all the all the uh, oxygen in the atmosphere, we're also going to release all these seeds, which have already been tested once, and mm-hmm. we know that will grow on Mars right. in that atmosphere. Yeah. We didn't right. talk about in the in the previous podcast, I meant to, about the idea of putting an atmosphere on Mars. And the fact that it doesn't have a magnetic field means the solar wind would right. just keep stripping that atmosphere off. You, you did mention that. Yeah. No, I, did, I mentioned that I didn't mention the detail about it. Yeah. But the fact that the magnetic field is the thing that right. helps reduce that the solar energy from from peeling the atmosphere right off the planet. So as long as you could keep mining the uh, oxygen out of the reactor, you'd be okay. You could sustain it. But there's cycles where big big bits of solar wind co- come through there and would just tear it off. Yeah. Right. So. You could just put a dome around the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, that being said, there are some pretty significant differences. And one I'll bring up was the whole fight with Richter at the end. Uh, yeah. In the novel, mm-hmm. as opposed to the movie, which we know it always to be right, the movie. Right. <laughs> in the novel, Richter and, and uh, Quaid are hanging on, essentially on a pulley. 
Right. And they are kind of counterbalancing one another. Yeah. And Richter wants to shoot him and Hauser's right. thinking, or uh, Quaid is thinking, well, how stupid. If you shoot me, I'll let go and then you're going to die too. Mm-hmm. Right. But it reinforces how much Richter hates him for killing his wife, girlfriend, Lori yeah. earlier in the book. Um, and you, you, you kind of get that anger and that rapidness because he was going to mm-hmm. try and pop the dome in the movie. But just right. having him there hanging over the, the abyss was a little bit different, and less gory than having his arms ripped off when two yeah. elevators slide right. off one another. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention that too in the 2012 <laughs> film. I liked, I liked the sort of nod to that with the, with the robot getting its arms ripped off. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Going back and picking up stuff we missed in the previous podcast right. a few minutes ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was showing how the sausage is made here a little bit that we're recording these on the same day. But there was a hint at the beginning of the, of the novelization where Quaid opens the door and he, gets, he sees a vision of a, Supernova. It was like the first hint of the, of, of the consequences of doing it wrong, right? Of, oh, of, right. of, of running afoul Messing of the up. aliens. Yeah. It also, the, the book almost exonerates Cohagen and his fears of starting the reactor because he feels like he, maybe he knows that he's doing it wrong. And so if he turns it on, they'll nuke the sun. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, and he'd lose all yeah. of his power. He loses right. all his power. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's the more main what I got out of it. Is he'll lose all his power. Yeah. Like he yeah. says in the movie, yeah. he's got the sweetest job in the world, mm-hmm. all, in the universe, in the right. galaxy, the solar system, yeah. wherever. Yeah. Uh, all he has to do is keep the turbinium flooring, and he can do anything he wants. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's uh, where they screwed up, right? Or uh, Richter screwed up because they yeah. didn't keep the turbinium flowing. I liked. Uh, we've talked before about the um, the concept in on TV tropes of adaptational attractiveness. And, oh, right. and I mentioned it in the novelization <laughs> as an adaptation of the film. They, they upsized Melina in, in two particular ways. Yes. Um, because they, they, she was not of athletic build in the, in the novel. So the movie, or, right. sorry, the, the book is a little more salacious than the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which evidently is Pierce Anthony. Yeah. It's typical. Although yeah. I got to say one of my favorite parts was, uh, in one of the, the Xanth books in the lower, Teens, I think. Uh, the the younger folk in Xanth always wants to know about sex, and the older folks are not supposed to tell them. And it's called the adult conspiracy. <laughs> and so finally, this character you've been watching through like a whole series of books grows up, becomes married, and she's about to learn about it. And then there's an ellipsis. <laughs> and that's the other way the adults protect the adult conspiracy is through the use of the ellipsis. Nice. And, and I probably don't have it coded quite exactly right. It's been a while since I've read it. But yeah, so, you know, I, I don't want to say he writes, you know. Too salaciously. Too salaciously. Right. <laughs> Although he does have some adult erotic fiction. Right. Um, huh. But yeah. Yeah, this one definitely had more of that kind of content right. in it than the movie did. It's racier. Uh, an extra boob, yes. for instance. Yeah, that, that was another change. And so there was a, an article soon after the 2012 movie came out from a plastic surgeon saying that, no, <laughs> that's just not possible. Because there was a lady claiming she had three breasts. Right. Right. Um, so Mr. Anthony had uh, had a four-pack. <laughs> and right. it was two by two, so she could wear two bikinis. Right. Which makes total sense. And that was in the original novelization. But in the director's cut version, which is the right. paperback, it's only three. And yeah. this was another thing where yeah, Colin's like, no, it was four. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it was three. Yeah. So we owe James another other burrito. No. <laughs> uh, anything else? Oh, we don't have to go super long on this. No. Hey, no. Hey. no. It was a good That's book. She said. Yeah, it was a fun read. I, I enjoyed it. And it was it was certainly not a slog in any sense. The, no. It's like no. two, 270 pages, sub 300. My biggest not right, difference, I guess, between the novel Quaid, novelization Quaid, and Arnold's Quaid was that I think I felt like he was a much 
more portrayed of an intelligent, capable character in the book, secret agent-wise, than what Arnold could have possibly ever portrayed in in a movie film. Yeah, <laughs> Arnold doesn't necessarily read as really, right. really bright. Um, yeah. th- though I know he's actually very bright in real life. So. Yeah, I mean, just the fact well, that yeah. he pulled this movie off the way that he did. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I like there's a separation between Quaid and Hauser. So Quaid is concealedly saying, mm-hmm. oh, the Hauser part of me knew what to do, and it took over right. and did that, it. That insight, mm-hmm. into the, that insight into his brain and throughout the entire novel mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. And yeah. made, made it made the Hauser-Quaid seem quite intelligent and very capable. And throughout the entire novel, he seemed like an intelligent, agile, and powerful person. Yeah. As opposed to Arnold, who just seems like a powerful person. He uses his brute strength to overcome everything, every obstacle in the movie. As opposed to in the book, I felt like he used his brute strength along with some agility and his intelligence to overcome everything. Yeah. Like the pulley scene, for instance. Yeah. Don't shoot me, we'll both die. And then, but pretty much know, suckers he, him into doing exactly the same into, thing. Yeah, suckering him into doing the exact <laughs> yeah. same thing. After, after he's got, after he's in a he, position he, you to. You know, take he outwits him on that part where yeah. something like that wouldn't have, didn't happen in the yeah. movie, right? He uses him as a counterweight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Michael Ironside would have been badly outweighed by Arnold George. Right. Well, yeah, of course, of course, Richter was, was upped in physique as well. I, I felt like they were, they were better matched in the book. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't have to, uh, import Michael Ironside into the, Right. Actual story. Yeah. So the characters were a little different in the novelization. I, I did, I'm wondering if, uh, if you guys felt the same, like the book was less ambiguous. I thought, I thought it pretty much came down on the side of, no, it was real. Yeah. I think so. I don't think there's as much room there for, for possibly thinking that it was all still in his head. But I don't know. I didn't get that idea in the book for sure. I don't know. I have confirmation bias. Like, I remember first watching the movie and having no doubt that it was real because I wanted Arnold to win. Right. And then right. later on when I read or listened to the commentary from uh, Rehoven saying that, yeah, you know, he was trying to build it, but realized that because it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, people are going to mm-hmm. identify with mm-hmm. him and not want it to be false. Yeah. Right. right. Well, part of the problem for me with the films is anytime there's any scenes that are not from the Arnold point of view, from, from the Hauser slash Quaid point of view, mm-hmm. how is that in his head? So if you have a private conversation between Richter and Cohagen, right, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, so that's to me that's the biggest nail in the coffin of the the dream idea. There's another I think about. It. There's another aspect of the novel that struck me: um, how he constantly was shifting between characters' perspectives. Um, I don't know. Did you not get that at all? <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't notice it to to the detriment. Certainly. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, at first I found it confusing, and then I. Began to appreciate it more. Was um, he trying to keep you on your toes? Keep it, keep it confusing. I don't know. It, 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 it was reminiscent of writing a screenplay, hmm. like you, what you were saying about how reading a screenplay, you, you get the blatant version of somebody talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like in the, in at first it was kind of confusing at first in the novel that happening, um, but then it kind of made more sense as you go along because there really isn't a narrator mm-hmm. for this story. Yeah. Right. So it wouldn't have worked to go that way. Um, so right. it, it was kind of, you could kind of tell it was a novelization of a movie, I guess, mm-hmm. in that way. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> so wonder, interesting. we, we talked about the inflationary language thing, right? Because there's the four breasts instead of the three. And then Benny has six kids to feed <laughs> instead of four, yeah. instead of five. Now that, that is one that is true to both versions of the novel. Yes. Or the novelization. Um, and so, yeah, I wonder if in the screenplay originally it was, 
it was four bosoms and six kids. And then they, oh, maybe. they liked the way it rolled off the actor's tongue better to say five kids to feed. Or he read it wrong and then they had to do it consistently that way throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. The, to me, the, the idea is it's much tougher to make a mistake and go from six to five than to go from five to four just because of the, the, uh, the consonants. Yeah. That, uh, there were, yeah, we, we mentioned that the, there was no see you at the party, Richter. Uh, right. I mean, there was, but it was w- without him throwing his arms down. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me give you a hand. <laughs> what else? It was good. I enjoyed it. The novelization and the movie. Right. Yeah. Both. Yeah. So this one, this is, this is above and beyond for our normal consumption of, of films where. Right. I mean, with certain things that we covered, there, there were like five entries in the canon, but it was never two books. True. That's true. So yeah. So to this point, we've done the original short story, the 1990 movie, the novelization, the paperback novelization, the 2012 movie, and then one or both of you watched the 2012 yeah, director's, oh, director's right. cut. Yeah. yeah. So there were like, yeah, there were six entries in here. It's a yeah. lot of stuff. And you know, if you've noted us, noted us, noticed us uh, stuttering and stammering and trying to keep track of what was what, it's because there was a <laughs> lot of stuff, lot of stuff. right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did it for you. We, for, for, for our loving fans. I took a bullet for you guys. <laughs> yeah. No, but the novelization is definitely worth reading. And, and I think the, it was fun. I liked it. I think, I think doing this is actually pretty cool. Um, and in the future we should definitely do it with a, a non-adapted science fiction film right. so that we can, we can get something in there that, that we want to do. Mm-hmm. I see. I would, I would love to find the last starfighter. That There's got to be a novelization out there. There I is. I love that movie so much. So shall we go to, shall we go to rankings and call it a, call it a podcast? What are we ranking now? Are we, are we, are we putting the novelization into the greater canon or are we just going movie and novelization? I think we have to just go movie novelization. Mm, yeah. That's where we're at. Yeah. Well, anybody voting for the novelization over the movie? Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Well, Re- really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. See, I go, I go movie just, just because the performance aspect of it. So the, the performance aspect is really cool, yeah. but you know, the, the novelization stands well on itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All by itself. Nice. So I call, liked, Colin I, and James I, say novelization, then movie. Yep. I really so like how he expanded it. The, the book is always right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because he had a chance to fix some of the things that were wrong with the movie. And here you are being canonical. Right. <laughs> What's up with you? <laughs> I am not objecting to the novelization on, on the count that it made changes. The changes it made, I felt were good. I just, to me, the, the visual medium wins. Mm. Um, and things like the, you know, throwing down the arms. <laughs> Please lay down your arms. That's the real, it's your real gripe. Yeah. yeah. Well, I also liked, one thing I liked that they fixed in the novelization was that when he used the, um, image projector thing, that they fired, that the soldiers fired across oh, and killed yeah, each other. Oh, the hologram oh, yeah. was cool. I love how, yeah, he used the hologram to cross for kill themselves. Yeah. We're and in the movie, you're like, why they, is Yeah, why did dying? that happen in the movie? <laughs> yeah. How that, no, because they were clearly firing right at yeah. the hologram. Across uh, from each other. Maybe they were using blanks like in uh, Die Hard 2. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, so I think that's a wrap. The, well, the, the novelization also had a little, uh, I guess, uh, we, yeah, we're pretty much our wrap, aren't we? <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, bring it in. Then yeah, cut it in if go. you can. Right. The novelization also had a little bit of extra information about the travel between Earth and Mars. Where the movie right, went with yeah. a pretty abrupt cut. Yeah. And didn't, didn't show that. Where, yeah. where it had, instead of the two weeks, two weeks thing. Right. <laughs> it it had the, your cabin. Where's my cabin? Or where's my cabin? Yeah. And it also talked more about where the, uh, where the rebellion was hiding. They were actually outside the domes and he tied that into the dream that he kept having. Mm. So they left the dome. They went out in their right. went out to the, uh, left the dome, walked over to an area, pulled up a hatch and went down into it. And that's where the original Martian settlers were buried. Right. And it kind of, um, 
to me, bolstered the idea of the mummification. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't buy the fact that there would be great mummification in a wet, moist environment inside the dome. Right. But, you know, outside, oh, before right. it was pressurized, mm-hmm. it would make tons of sense to do that. Yeah, the novelization also went a greater distance toward explaining how the story made sense. I felt like it was much clearer. Yeah. In that. You didn't, you didn't really have to noodle too much about it to figure out, mm-hmm. wait, did that plan of Cohagen or Hauser even make sense? Yeah. So. So if there was an novelization of the 2012 and we read it, do you think it would help it? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it'd be like a 140 page book because there's not as much story. Right. Because of all the chases. Yeah. And, and chases really are right. not very interesting <laughs> in print. And the, the twist just isn't the same in the 2012 reboot. No, yeah, that was one of my objections, right? You're, yeah. you're reusing the same twist and hoping for the same effect, and it just right. can't happen. No. That was actually one thing that I liked about the uh, Planet of the Apes remake, was that the twist was different. Where he got back to Earth, and Earth was inhabited by apes. Right. Yeah. I like the Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the one thing that movie got right, and the makeup. Well, do you wish to give us a uh, a uh, faux cast blessing to send us home? <laughs> a bizarro cast blessing? What would that be? May the road open up and eat you. May may the road rise up to hit you in the face. I thought about one for for James, you know, like, you know, as he's coming back from Poland, you know, may the runway rise up to meet you, but only on proper takeoffs and landings. Yes. (laughs) It's like in Firefly. Just get us on the ground. That part will happen pretty definitely. (laughs) Down is not a problem. Well, uh, again, thanks to Mr. Anthony for uh, writing back uh, at all and so incredibly quickly uh, and for a very enjoyable novelization. It's possible that there's people who downloaded this episode and went, I thought you were doing rollerball. And sorry, it is April Fool's. So <laughs> you have only yourself to blame. Um, the end of this month, which is April now. Yes. Right. Will be rollerball. So we will be getting to that. Michael, be patient. <laughs> and we hope everybody enjoyed the episode. And I'll, I'll also post the supercut, which is pretty awesome. Cool. Sweet. All right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. We, we have signed off now. Bye. And we're back, as we always are, discussing a well-known science fiction film and its novelization. This time we're talking about Total Recall. <laughs> well, I'm going to try and make it not like I'm, you know, reading it. So, so we just started off saying that, huh? I know, right? No, no, no wonder you have such a hard time doing this. It's, it's, tough. it's, it's weird. tough. It's tough to pull the trigger because there's nobody here. I know, right? it is. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now you know what I go through every single time. <laughs> And welcome back, everybody, to take me to your taker crap. <laughs> to crap me on your reader. <laughs> That'll be some odd quality sound effect. Right. Yeah, well, yes. of course. <laughs> take me to your reader, hosted by Bane. <laughs> so you know. Well, and the other side right. of it is that the, there's the hammer and the carrot. Or, I'm sorry. The, the, there's the carrot. I'm sorry. The other side. Of, <laughs> Tell us more, Seth. Here's a hammer. <laughs> if all you have is a carrot, everything looks like a hammer. <laughs> oh, boy. No, and what, what would Picard say? There are four ribs. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the memories. Thanks for the memories. Isn't there a section where the dog is communicating with E.T. and he has a dream about the great cosmic bone and something like that. What? <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. <laughs>